Thanks for listening to CarCast on Podcast One. This is Denny Somak, host of The Rock Podcast. I'm a producer, author, and rock historian, and I want to share with you some of the greatest stories in rock and roll. Well, Bonzo was the best hard rock drummer ever, hands down. I mean, no one comes within a mile of him. And I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. John Lennon had this wise guy look on his face, just like me and my friends were just a bunch of wise guys, street kids. The first guitar I ever had was um, Spanish guitar, and I couldn't really get the hang of it. I was only 13. I had never written a song before, actually, and uh, so Jim says, okay, everybody go home and write some songs, you know. And so I went, went home and wrote Light My Fire. Join me. For The Rock Podcast, the only podcast that matters. From Podcast One or wherever you get yours. All right. Well, in this show, we talked to Dr. Fred Simeon of the Simeon Collection just outside of Philly with some incredible cars. Just an amazing. Just amazing. And we get the full story of that uh, Phil Spector Daytona <laughs> Cobra, which is an awesome story and some prices realized. Yeah. First then, uh, Matt, yeah. We'll touch a little bit on the Toyota Supra as well. But before we get started, you know, Dodge was ranked number one in initial quality and best driver appeal for mass market brands by J.D. Power. It's the first U.S. brand ever to be ranked number one in initial quality and appeal in the same year. So see your local Dodge dealer or visit Dodge.com to schedule a test drive today. Yeah, get it on. Got to get on. I chose to get on. Mandate you get it on. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for coming, friend. <laughs> Welcome to CarCast. Man, it's Matt, the moderator. DeAndre over are there. He's getting better. Yeah, Rhino's getting it. <laughs> he's, getting, he's getting there. He's getting there. Kind of reminds me of when uh, you teach someone to ride the unicycle, you know? It's like a couple, first couple pedals, you know, yeah. once they get up on it. It'd be a little, a little tough, but a uh, little uh, baby bird's taking its first steps. <laughs> uh, Fred Simeon is going to join us. Uh, Fred Simeon is... Um, He's a guy I followed for a while. Um, he's got an amazing collection. I, I think we all kind of – I don't like the brass era cars. I don't like the steam-powered cars. I don't I don't like a lot of that kind the of pre, uh, pre wagon yeah. wheel stuff yeah. and that kind of stuff. And then, uh, you know, later on, you know, a Tucker or something is fine. But mm-hmm. I, I like the race cars. And uh, Simeon, I guess he's out of Philadelphia or Pennsylvania – area uh he's got great cars he's got gt40s he's got uh he's got the daytona coupe uh he's got ferrari he's got i it's probably probably some um maserati race cars a lot of race cars big emphasis on you know international racing big emphasis on uh Le Mans. so his stuff's all right up my alley and He's the guy who did, who was able to wrestle wrestle away that uh, Daytona Cobra from Phil Spector's bodyguard's daughter, who sort of went crazy and lit herself on fire and killed herself, and had the car sort of in her garage for all those years. Yeah, he was able to strike up a deal with her, and she wasn't talking to people, and uh, it's rumored that Shelby went to her home and she wouldn't let him in kind of thing. So 
be very interested in talking yeah. to uh, Simeon about that car. Now, is he going to give us the price? <laughs> I don't know. Because now he went and put the thing carefully back to how it was. But I think he was keen to leave a lot of the patina and stuff on it. Yeah. So he didn't do a full cosmetic restoration. He had to get rid of, I guess, a lot of the paint, a lot of the house paint that was on it that yeah. um, uh, that Phil Spector did and nonsense like that. So, you know. Yeah, I don't really know the story about how Phil Spector got the car. Phil Spector bought the car from a guy who had those big slot car tracks that used to be throughout the United States, okay. you know? And I don't know if you ever went to one of those. No. There used to be a few of them. There was one out here in the San Fernando Valley. There was one down on the promenade, I think, in Santa Monica. Oh, wow. These were just like medium-sized stores, probably about the size you'd put some sort of medium-sized retail shop in now. And they just had giant slot. They had the giant slot car set with the, <laughs> I don't know what gauge or scale, but the, the cars were six inches long and guys would bring them and race them and you could buy cars there and you'd bring your own remote and plug it in and race other guys. Yeah, they okay. have some guys like in the corners kind of grabbing them and setting them back up again and they'd go under a bridge and over a thing. Uh-huh. And it was kind of was kind of cool. I did it a little bit when I was, uh, you know, 13 or 14 or something like that. But um, not uh, – and, and then it, that guy bought the car. I don't know. That guy paid, you know, three grand for it or something and sold it to Phil Spector for 10 grand and thought he was a genius. And then Phil Spector drove it around. And he he wrote stuff on it, like it had the Bonneville record, uh, not the Bonneville. He drove but, it around. That's amazing. How do you get his oh, you don't know this fit? story? <laughs> How do you get his hair to fit in there? <laughs> uh, he he got the car, and he probably put like a FM AM FM radio in it, and and he started painting on the side, like holds the record. That's the car that went out to the Salt Flats and had the uh, 24-hour speed record or whatever it is. And he started writing, like, all the shit on the side of the car with, like, house paint. (laughs) And then he took it and he just drove it uh, to work and stuff. And, uh, of course, it was louder and shit. And then he got a bunch of speeding tickets. And I think his people sort of convinced him to part ways with it. He was getting into trouble with it course it was hot and loud and everything yeah. else so he then uh either gave it to his bodyguard or he sold it to him for like a thousand bucks and then the bodyguard just got it i guess put it in the garage and gave it to his daughter then uh, he you know bodyguard died and things sat in the garage and the daughter turned out to be just like a crazy you know 20 years later 25 years ago, it was like a crazy middle-aged woman, and uh, people started to get the idea that that car was somewhere, and it was in her garage mm-hmm. out here in so- SoCal. And um, she, uh, you know, then then they just, people, suitors would, like, show up, you know, and she was like the crazy middle-aged yeah. lady. And, uh, you know, they'd make her offers, and they'd tell them that wasn't interested, and keep their money, and blah, blah, blah. And finally... I guess Fred Simeon and his team made the offer and she accepted it. And then she went out on a trail for hike and poured gasoline on herself and lit herself on fire. That's a 
harsh way to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you're going to do it. Yeah. It's a harsh way to go. Now, that car's 30 million bucks. I don't know. I feel like Fred probably got it for well under five. Oh, we're going to ask. Yeah. Yeah, and we're that, definitely going to ask. <laughs> that was probably in, you know, early 01, 02 or somewhere in there. I, yeah. I, I don't know. The, the, that That's as much as I know. But I know a lot. But the person knows yeah. the most is, is Fred. So uh, right, well, we'll do your Dodge yeah. and we'll talk to Fred Simeon. You know, Dodge was ranked number one for initial quality and best driver appeal for mass market brands by J.D. Power. It's the first U.S. brand ever to be ranked number one in initial quality and appeal in the same year. Check it out. Go to Dodge.com or schedule okay. your test drive. Uh, go to your local dealer. Either way. All right. So Fred is on the uh, – he's on line one. So we'll speak to uh, Dr. Fred Simeon. Doctor? Hi, how you doing? I'm doing well. I've been following you for some time, so I'm excited to speak to you. Hello. And I've been following you as well. Oh, good. Well, you know, first, I think we're kindred spirits. We both love the race cars. Um, let's talk about some of the... Oh, give us... It's going to be hard to limit it to 8 or 10, but give us uh, give us some of the jewels in the uh, Simeon Collection crown in as far as race cars or Lamar goes. Well, real fast, we have the Bugatti that won the 37 Le Mans, GT40 Mark II from 1966, GT40 Mark IV from 1967, Ferrari Testarossa, Ferrari 375 millimeter, Aston Martin DBR1, um, nice big boot, Cunningham, um, a Maserati 300S, Porsche 917, Porsche 1975 33 GT12, and so on. And the Cobra Daytona Coupe, of course. Yeah. What is the Cunningham car? Uh, he made two roadsters and a coupe for racing. And um, he, uh, he kept one roadster and one coupe, and we were able to get the other roadster. The it, 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 best thing it did was... Uh, Second place in, uh, I think, the 1954 Le Mans class win. So uh, I've seen s- some exposés on you and your collection. I think this was uh, this is a family affair, right? Well, my dad he gave me, you know, typical Italian dad, one son. He gave me all the time and attention I needed. He was a $3 a visit, a family doc, but he spent a lot of time with me, and he, he's my hero. Did, did and he, he four of these cars he he collected, but they were the old beaters like Auburn Speedsters and uh, Cords and things. And when did you start your collection? Well, when I first got a few bucks, which is I finished medical school, I had a teaching job at Penn, and I got a little salary. So I would say about nineteen seventy. And hmm. isn't it fortuitous or? Maybe not. You know, always think about our friend Bruce Meyer, um, who I'm sure you know well. Very well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's probably always trying to get you to do something, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's my relationship with him. Yeah, he's hey, a simulator. Yeah. Hey, I talked to the CHP. They, 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 a raffle was won. They want to tour your basement. Yeah. Uh, you're you going to be home. And then you're going to play 18 rounds of golf with this guy. And, and some fans. We love Bruce. So, um, he's, he's great. He's great. So, 
you're, you know, he he started collecting cars. He liked race cars. He liked Lamar. Race cars, Lamar race cars, and race cars in general weren't really considered collector cars in a traditional sense until recently. I mean, they always had historic value, but not as of late. As of late, they've really gone insane, especially Lamar cars. Can you speak to that? Well, yeah, I mean, like, like other historical objects, uh, uh, the top of the, the top, the cream of the top always gets, gets the most attention and therefore the most value. So when a car has all the right stuff, plus it won a major race, plus a, where the major race was a Le Mans or a Sebring or a Melamilia, it just adds to it. You know, it's like the, uh, it's like the battle, the, the winner of the battle, uh, his, uh, his gun and his chariot is the most valuable. In my case, it was all 100% history, um, and it was about the big cars that w- that won in uh, these big races. So that's I, I, I don't I kind I don't date my cars. I fall in love with them and keep them. So hmm. I was always search- searching for those particular type of cars. Yeah, but the values have just skyrocketed for the race cars. I'm saying just mm-hmm. you yes. know semi recently. Um, yes. Did uh, so. Let's talk about the Daytona because I know quite a bit about that car. I'm very interested in the story. Uh, you know all of the story. I know half of the story. Um, it was owned by the daughter of the bodyguard of um, what's his name? Phil, Spector. Phil Spector's bodyguard. Phil Spector. Is that's correct, right? right? It was right. mm-hmm. it was out in Southern California, correct? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, was it just in her garage? For thirty years, she paid storage fees for thirty years, from nineteen seventy one to two thousand and one, and she was a Sears warehouse girl, so she didn't have a lot of money. But for whatever reason, she kept it there and wouldn't let anybody see it. And uh, yeah. yeah. It, it, but everybody knew about it, or a lot of people knew. Like, well, well, well what happened was they knew about it uh, on the coast. They would come, to, but she wouldn't show them a car, and she wouldn't talk to them. In fact, Carol Shelby told me once he went to see it, and he said the bitch would only talk to me through a screen door. <laughs> you know, she, was, she was that reclusive about it. She wouldn't let anybody. So by 1990, which was 20 years of storage, there were. The, the, the trace was cold. Everybody said, you can't get that. The lady's crazy. And then they finally lost, really lost track of it. And then you showed up in 01. Right. Mm-hmm. And you knew where it was, but you then had to have a sort of liaison, go try to make contact with her. Well, yeah, the liaison really did most of the work. Martin was a, is a great friend and he did a wonderful job on this. But he got a detective. He got he played he played it right. And when he approached her, he didn't lowball her. For the time we paid whatever the market was, so um, the deal was done. Uh, What 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 was the market market was back then? (laughs) Uh, Was I think we paid three and a half? Yeah, it was around three and a half. I forget the exact number, but that was close. Do you have any idea of no. what the previous offers were? Like, you know, like did somebody offer her a hundred grand or or two million? And she's 
for well, some reason she, thought she it was never revealed that. Yeah, she never revealed that to us. And it had been so long ago. I think the last time anybody looked at it might have been a decade ago. She so so. I mean, it was just it was obviously time for her to sell. Martin did a beautiful job of massaging the thing, and he knew I was anxious, so he just he just closed the deal. But then let me tell you what happened. The uh, uh, it was in the L.A. Times. In fact, Jay sent me a clipping from the L.A. Times, and and the and the West Coast Cobra guys went batshit. You know, they said, "Oh my God, this has got to be a public sale." They gate the sale. They went to the judge. Lawsuits are flying, but the judge said, "You know, uh, she had the pink slip." He paid her a fair price. Uh, I'm not going to negate the sale. How? In the meantime, yeah. <laughs> one day the car shows up at my uh, at my garage. I hadn't paid a penny for it, but Martin said, I got to get this out of Dodge because they're ready to replevin it and take it. So he just, he just as soon as he got it, he took it and sent it to Philly. Um, the <laughs> car, let's backtrack a little and talk about the history of that car. Yep. Yeah. You want? I'll, I'll give you the cliff notes real quick, Please. okay? Because it's—I don't want to make it too long. But you know, um, Carroll Shelby has a hard one for Fre- for Ferrari. He knows he can win with a GT. He says we got to make a GT. He hires this young genius. I mean, this kid is young and he's incredibly bright. And on, literally on the back of an envelope, he makes a drawing of a car. Six months later, this car uh, goes out and is twenty miles on twenty miles an hour faster than the standard Cobra that it's sitting on. Of course, we're, the genius is uh, Pete, Brock, Pete Brock. Right. Sorry for stepping it's on that. Pete Brock. So, <laughs> so after that, they raced. They raced the race by 65. Shelby's involved in the GT40 program. He tries to unload these cars, which really nobody wants. You know, he no, but nobody wanted them. He finally put a quick and dirty paint job on our car, covered up the roundels, put a nice engine in it, and he sold it to somebody who had it for really just a few months before it went to, to uh, Spectre. Spectre hated it. It's, if you've already driven one, they're loud, they're noisy, they're cammy, they're uncontrollable, and he gave it to his bodyguard. Um, that car, I know that's the car that went out to the salt flats, right? Yeah, what, what happened there was um, Goodyear was trying to screw Firestone out of the ideal weather at the salt flats. So they called Shelby up and they said, send something out so we can test our tires because next week Firestone's working, it's going to be wet. So he sends my car out. Uh, and all these things I've been talking about are my car because that was the first one and the only one built in America. And it goes out, Craig Breedlove's there, and they ran, you ready for this? 23 speed and distance records, which were there since 1936. Hmm. Wow. And, and I know yeah. Phil took some house paint and put a lot of that information on the quarter panel or something. And part of what you had to do was restore Mm -hmm. the car, but you didn't want to strip it of the patina. So what was that process like? Yeah, there's a, that was house paint and there's a thing in surgery (laughs) called a beaver knife, which is very thin and you can actually get between the paint uh, and the fake paint and the real paint and scrape off the house paint. Now, of course, then there's a difference in oxidation under it, but one coat of white uh, compound, and it's all the same. So we just we just gradually scraped it off without scratching anything. What else, what <laughs> other kind of modifications had Phil 
made to the car had taken place on the car over the years? He did virtually nothing. He didn't spend a nickel on it. He hated it. The one thing that the car had was the exhaust came out originally under the uh, door, and when we got it, it was rerouted to coming out the back. And that's about the only modification I can think he made. Of course, Pete thinks, well, Pete and I had a little battle about this. He thinks that, that Spectre repainted and, and all that, but we have the work order from Shelby. They splashed the paint on it before they sold it, and nobody ever touched it since. So the only modification he made, if he did it, was to reroute the exhaust. And the car today has... A pat- how would you describe it with a, a sort of patina? I mean, I've seen it uh, just in photos mm-hmm. and, and videos and things like that. It it looks, um, I don't know. It it has a patina on it. I would as I would yeah. describe it. Well, it, it looks like what we want was a used nineteen sixty five race car. It's got some battle scars on it, uh, but it shows its history now. I'm not putting down the other cars because, you know, they made five of them uh, with the bodies made in in, uh, Italy. But they all look like super performance replicas. They're shiny. They're bright. The white is white. They all look like they were painted yesterday. And I don't like that look. Uh, If the car's got a race history and we got it with that, uh, why change it? Do you reckon that car's worth 30 million bucks today? Uh, you know, Adam, I've I, I donated these to a charity. It's, this whole museum is a charity. So I don't even think about money. Money was always irrelevant. I had to scrape to buy it after it showed up at my doorstep. Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, I've been offered numbers that are in that range. Um, but again, you know, I suspect if two people were after it and really started the bid, it could go up high. It's not, the money's meaningless. Uh, I wouldn't have given them away if the money meant anything. It's the history and the preservation that it's the motivation. Um, word on the street is that you were bidding against me for the Newman 935. <laughs> not true, although I think that's not true, although I, I think that's by far. You're talking about the 1979 one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, although I I have said that's the number that's the one car in the Corolla collection that I would want that would fit in the collection of major race winners. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I, I mean, mean have you have seen a lot the of whole collection? Newman I mean, cars, there could be more than one. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want a Datsun five ten? You, know, you sure you don't want a Roadster like a Datsun Roadster? <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's well, how can I put a Datsun Roadster against a Ferrari Testarossa? You know, I mean. They're all lined up. We have 10 cars in a uh, Le Mans background. It looks like they're ready to take off and run. We got Armco and hay bales and, and old tires in there to make it look a little gritty. Yeah. How yeah. Uh, How... and, and, but the 935 that you have is a, is a treasure. Well, it's not for sale, but go ahead and make an offer. <laughs> <laughs> I'll trade you for the Daytona. Yeah. Throw in the scalpel. <laughs> and, and 50 grand not, cash. <laughs> yeah. Not quite. No? Not quite. Um, the uh, How many square feet do you guys have? Uh, uh, under roof, it's about 85,000. Wow. I'd love... How far then, How far out of Philly are you? We're, we're about 10 minutes from the airport. Wow. 
I got to get by yeah. there. And, and the, the dioramas are there's ten Le Mans exhibits. There's a beautiful millimeter exhibit with a lot of pre-war. We have uh, five eight-cylinder alphas. Yeah. So a lot of pre-war alphas. We got a bunch of neat stuff, um, and it's all in an exhibit trying to make you feel like you're at the race. We don't want to put these cars on pedestals and. Then they they become statues and nobody drives them. All all of the cars go out on weekends. They have now, three now acres is, in the back, and we call it a track, and we kind of tootle around on that. This is a this is publicly available now. You like you said you you set up a basically a nonprofit. This museum is there. People yes. can can visit the museum six days a week. Six days a week, like all other museums in Philly, were closed Monday, but we're here six days a week. Well, we're going to be in Philly. Kids are free. In uh, June, in June, I'm coming out to Philly to do some shows, so uh, we'll definitely hit you up. Well, you're very much much invited. We could have a lot of time talking cars, for sure. Yeah, uh, so last question. Um, A lot of, we were just at the, um, where were we in Naples? The the, Collier uh, Museum? Collier Collection, yeah. Yeah, and uh, they'll lend some of those cars out for mm-hmm. some of the vintage events I do. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I saw the scarab that uh, John Morton rolled um, at one of the events we were doing at Pebble Beach or Laguna Seca. Um, do you take these cars out, or, or not you, but do you lend them out, so to speak, for vintage events and things of that nature? Well, here's the problem. Um, you just, I just listed some of the cars, there's 70, I just listed maybe 10 for you. How would you like to pay the uh, insurance premium at greed value for those cars? Yeah. Well, here's what I've so d- discovered. I, I can't afford the insurance, and they, they never leave. But on the other hand, people can come here five, six days a week to see them. But I, I, I just can't afford the insurance. It's way more than, uh, than we, we could pay. I mean, premiums like that would be nuts. Well, I got good news for you. There's no insurance on the track. So <laughs> yeah, you couldn't insure it anyway. You insure <laughs> it anyway. On the racetrack. Getting it there, sure. Getting it there, yeah. yeah. But yeah. the the track insurance, the, I don't yeah. I don't think it really exists. It's every I've, man for himself. I've certainly looked into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh you fire the cars up, you'll take them around. I saw Yeah, I I saw it on an episode of Carology or oh, incarcerated. Autobiography. 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 Right, Incarcerated. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down. Famous criminals. <laughs> that have, uh, the, the cars of famous criminals. The Whittington Brothers in 1982. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good title for a show. Yeah. Uh, Fred. Dr. Fred. Please call me Fred, Adam. Oh, okay. <laughs> the doctor's uh, long gone. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I love your collection. Um, I'm so impressed with it. Their cars are uh, right in my wheelhouse, and I'm really excited about coming out there in June. Was it, Chris? And uh, and meeting you in person and and taking a look at these terrific cars. Well, you can have a pick one and pick one or two or three, and you can drive them around. We have three acres in the back where you can. You know, go through the gears and have have a good time. I would uh, I would love to do that. Set up the cones. I'll bring the beer. <laughs> we'll ring out that uh, Testarossa. Yeah, see where it goes. Um, uh, I, I, we're going to let you go in a second, but just one quick question. I had a note here about what your favorite car is in the collection, and uh, 
Uh, it's written down as a the thirty eight Alfa Romeo. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happened? The uh, the absolute very pinnacle of design pre war was this touring bodied Alfa Romeo. You've probably seen pictures of them. They made four. There's two left, and it's absolutely gorgeous. At every angle, every point, and you know, being an Italian and loving those designs, every every curve, if you feel. I'll sit in a stool, put it on the turntable with the hoagie, and just watch <laughs> it go round and round and round and never get tired. It's so goddamn beautiful. Well, get an and extra. And it, of course, it won every race it entered, and I've taken it to the millimeter three times. Oh, drove it through cool. the millimeter a few times and, and uh, drove it around. Uh, when, whenever I get a chance, to, an honest chance to take it off, I'll take it out, uh, get temporary insurance. But it's wonderful. Totally wonderful. Go on. Am I allowed to plug my website? Sure. sure. We're looking at it now. Yeah. 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 SimeoneMuseum.org. And you look at the pictures of that 38 millimeter alpha. There's a particularly one taken from high, and it's luscious. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, all right, bring an extra stool and an extra hoagie. I'll come out there in June, and uh, we'll sit there in our wife beaters and admire it. Great, great. I'd love to have you. Thanks, Paisan. Fred Simeon, okay. My everyone. Pleasure. Same to you. All Bye-bye. right. Interesting. Boy, yeah. qu- quite a collection. Yeah. I mean, real heavy-duty. Like, if you... If you just went around and, and toured the cars in there and just just speculated, just wrote down an estimate for each one of those cars, it'd be so tough to do just based on the history, you know, the Le Mans winners and stuff. But it, you make a pass in there, and it's just like, I can't imagine what the total value is. I'm sure he knows because he's donated the whole thing to charity. There's some sort of tax write-off and of what's going on over there. But uh, uh, what an amazing collection. Well, it's funny. I, I'm surprised he gave us the price he paid for the Daytona, but it was right kind of what I was thinking circa 01, yeah. 3.5. Those cars, I've always told you those cars are kind of undervalued. And, and here's the thing. It's like, we have no idea. He said it could have been 10 years before she received the previous offer. She could have never seen an offer more than 75 grand. People lowballing, thinking she's nuts. Crazy old woman. And then somebody knocks on the door and living, says, in a, living in a piece of shit house in Gardena, you know. Yeah, and then... Somebody knocks on the door and says three and a half million dollars. She's got to be thinking, "I'm scamming you, right?" Going, "Oh yeah, okay, I'll do that. I'll, I'll take that check." Well, I think <laughs> the moral of the story, kids, is figure out what the car's worth. Make an honest offer. You know, if you really want it, make an honest offer. It, it, if you want it, yeah. Because if you make an insulting offer, you're going to sort of poison the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want it, go get it, especially if you know what you're doing. I mean, you had, you know, 3.5 for that car by 2000 and in 01, by 2007, it was 7 million bucks. So mm-hmm. you were really going to haggle. What's the difference between 2.8 and 3.5 or whatever it is if the car's 30 million bucks today? Today, yeah. Right. So yeah. just go get it. And I'm also impressed by the, 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 the thirty doctors. million. He basically agreed with my thirty million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Assertion, right? Hey, but look at his collection and some of the stories he's been telling. He's he's acquired those cars long ago. 
Yes. You know, so what he's paid and what it's worth now are wildly different because he was saying he's like he could barely afford to keep those things in in the building because of just the value they've accumulated in the insurance, you know. Oh, I can – But, I mean – I'll tell you that Daytona that we're speaking of at 30 million bucks, probably not going to crack the top eight of his cars in terms of value. Right. Right. It's it's interesting because that car, he probably maybe would have spent 15, 20, 30 million dollars on the entire collection over his lifetime. Probably nowhere even near that. And it's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. All right. <laughs> let me hit uh, Geico here. Do you own, do you rent your home? Well, you do one or the other, right? And then uh, there's your automotive policy. How about get, getting your bundle on? At Geico.com. It's easy to bundle your homeowners and renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already got so much to do these days. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see just how much you could save when you go to Geico.com. Do it today and see just how easy it is to bundle. All right. In other news, let's see. What do we got? Just touch on this. I've been driving this Toyota Supra, the two-liter, the four-cylinder Supra. And mm-hmm. I, I'll tell you, like, it's – I don't know if you get it in lieu of this six-cylinder, but it is surprisingly good. It's uh, – I think it's 255 horsepower. The six-cylinder is is 382. They're both BMW engines, both Cars turbo engines. growing on me a little bit. It is small, and it's, it's actually – it's interesting – I I liked it more on the last day that I was driving it than I did the first day. I got I got a little more comfortable in it. I got a little bit easier getting in and out of it, uh, you know. But it's a little it's a little small, and it's a little tight on the inside. I think it'd be tough to get a big guy in there. Were you Were you at with the four cylinder offering? I'm a little old school. I feel like the Supra was known for its straight six. And we're now going to reintroduce the Supra. And it feels a little newfangled to go, oh, we'll give a four-cylinder option. I, I, I get it. It's it's six grand cheaper. And it's eight. Eight, eight grand, grand cheaper. Really? Yeah. yeah. So this but is, this is kind of the funny thing. Supra is because is my thing. When they were doing the Supra, one of the excuses of, of why Toyota was doing the partnership with BMW was they're saying, how can we do a Supra without the six? How we need the straight six? And then – of course, then eventually they came out with the four cylinder. Like I thought, the whole point of the partnership right. was was to do the six. Now, look, what they did is is the four cylinder. It it's obviously down on power, but it doesn't have the fancy suspension like the the dynamic suspension. Um, but it still has a good damper on it. It's a lighter shocks, lighter what's it, suspension. What's the MSRP on that one? Uh, I think it's. 40 um i'll find on the it four this, all right yeah and and listen you can dress them up and it still gets pretty expensive you're knocking on the door of fifty thousand dollars so for uh, the four yeah and and it's like just under 3200 pounds so the weight advantage is a little bit better balanced but the four cylinder is zero to 60 in 4.7 seconds which is fast and the eight cylinder is like 3.8 or I know it's about a second faster. Here's the thing: it's like we've seen a lot of car companies take the flagship model, right? Like 
Ford doing with the GT500, only available in the seven-speed paddle shift, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and they go, but if you want a manual, you get the GT or you get the EcoBoost. You got to get the the smaller engine, right? Mm-hmm. Even the new Bronco, the new Bronco is going to have uh, the bigger engine, automatic only. But if you want the little engine, you can get it with a manual. I feel like they kind of dropped the ball on that with the Supra. The Supra has, I believe it's an eight-speed automatic. You could paddle shift it if you want. But it's the same in the six and the four. So I'm saying, hey, if you want the four, and the whole idea is the lighter weight, you know, less horsepower, but lighter weight, fun, kind of spirited car, why not have a, a, a manual transmission, right? If it's mm-hmm. mostly BMW, BMW has manual transmissions that can mm-hmm. probably handle that kind of power pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just seemed like the optional manual on that car. I And again, the, the automatics pretty much outsell you know anything, and that's why we're getting away from them. But you know, when Porsche just announced their GT3 and they got all their orders in, they got an incredible amount of orders for the manual transmission. More that blew their mind, especially in the U.S. I don't like sixty percent were ordering the manual. Well, <laughs> well, um, let's not jack ourselves off just yet, <laughs> because I got to believe that the investor market is wised up. They've seen what's going on on Bring a Trailer. Mm-hmm. They've seen the difference between a DB9 automatic and a DB9 six speed, and a you know the 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 list goes on and on. What cars are getting a BMW M3? You know, with the six speed manual, and they're they're getting wise to it, and and they're saying, you know, if I'm going to order this car, I'm going to order it this way for resale. Now, probably what they don't know is once more than half of them come this way, it's not going to get the kind of resale that cars currently get where it's, you know the yeah, two yeah. the early 2000s it was or later 2000 everyone was switching to the it was smg what they yeah, the smg and the bmw yeah, yeah there's going on there so you know the the sticks were rare and blah 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 so it's got to be a little bit rare but i don't think this is porsche guys loving the purity of the spirited drive and the clutch I think it's, it's a them, collectability. I think it's them looking at collectability. I think yeah. I think when guys order those cars, I think they they look at the market, they look at resale, they look at cars that have come before, and they start factoring factoring in things like a sunroof or manual yeah. shift or cloth interior. You know, they're they they have a. I'm not saying. Look, God bless them. They're buying cool Porsches. Yeah, I yeah. don't want to shit on them. What I'm saying is, is I think they have, and rightfully so, like you would or I would, a, a kind of one eye on what do I want, and the other eyes on what would make this a good value down the road. What if the tables turn on something like a GT3, this new model GT3, and more of them are manuals than PDKs? That's what I'm saying. Then they're going to end up. <laughs> then the manuals are going to be the pedestrian ones. Yeah. And 20 years from now and bring a trailer. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of interesting is, uh, you know, Toyota Supras. It can't be that everyone just decided to drive a stick shift. <laughs> or people just decided to buy the car and not drive what it. What percentage right? of yeah. those people can drive a stick? That's a good, that's I, I, I a would want to know. I would argue half of them can't drive the PDK either. Uh-huh. But, <laughs> but that's... Uh, uh, so Toyota Supras, 
we're going up quite a bit. We've seen it on Bring a Trailer, the 90s versions of the Supras, really starting to gain some value, jumping to the forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 range and oh, more. Yeah, and, and if you had that six-speed, you're right, that was gold. But you know, this week, just a day ago, a Supra sold on Bring a Trailer – with 94,000 miles on it, I think, for like $72,000 with an automatic. Wow. With an automatic. People are losing their mind right. over that car. But <laughs> if that had a stick. Yeah. Then what does that mean now? Does this. I think you got a TAC 10 yeah. onto that. Just listen, everybody out there that had a Supra with an automatic or has a Supra with an automatic. You just you just got your golden ticket. You just got what you were waiting for on Bring a Trailer. Like this yeah. is your biggest day ever. Well, the the <laughs> comedy too is at the time in the early nineties. If you got the automatic, it probably cost you an extra seven hundred fifty bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. You can go to amcrolla dot com for all the live shows. I'm doing shows all over the damn place. It's not up on the screen, of course, but uh, you can you can do that. Oh, Reno, yeah going to be there at the uh, virginia street brew house march 19th and 20th i think we're adding shows there and uh jam in the van speakeasy march 25th two shows uh out here uh adam ray is going to be there dawson's going to be doing some stand-up loxy's going to be playing as well we got some free mangria and cannabis for with every purchase Just go to adamcrolla.com oh, i just added uh zanies in um nashville april 14th do a live pod there what do you got matt well, uh, speaking of those dates, uh, I'm going to be out at uh, Barrett-Jackson. Barrett-Jackson is 20 through 27, I think. I'm going to be out there just uh, the Arizona? Fridays. In, yeah. And I believe I just found out that uh, it's March. Mm-hmm. Um, the COVID restriction, which was limiting Barrett-Jackson to about 17,000 people a day, was just lifted. So uh, no holds barred. Let's go Good out there. I'll see you there. Aren't you scared? <laughs> oh. No, I, I, I did a show with uh, Brad Fanshaw on Shift and Steer. He was out there shopping for a motorcycle, and he walked into a motorcycle shop with his mask on, and uh, and they're like, they kind of had this look like he was robbing the place. He's like, no, 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 I'm from California, and they were still upset. Yeah, so, oh, <laughs> it was worse. worse. It was worse. Yeah. But yeah, there's no mask. I don't know what's going on. They seem fine. Well, bring the body bags. So, until next time, Adam Carroll for Matt, the motorator, DeAndrea saying keep the air in the spare and the bag in the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. Hey, Geico, do you own? Do you rent? Well, you do one or the other, right? You know, it's hard work out there. Owning, renting, you want to save some money? How about your bundle? Bundle your policies at Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle the homeowners or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you got so much to do already. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, see just how much you could save at Geico. That is Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. 
Hey, movie lovers, who needs a theater when you have Pluto TV? Grab your popcorn and your streaming device because free movies are here. Pluto TV is your home for movies. Great movies are playing anytime in over 20 exclusive movie channels of action, horror, rom-coms, and more. Watch hits like Saving Private Ryan, Pretty in Pink, and Charlie's Angels all for free. No signups, no fees, no contracts, ever. Download the free Pluto TV app on any device.